We're in the middle of a, a, a series of lessons, and I want to start with two short vignettes, two short stories. Uh, one is there's a, a, a fellow we know, a young man, who um, I had a chance to, I keep up with him. He's one in my circle of people to keep up with, and, and it, I was visiting with some of his family, and his family were telling me uh, some while ago, they said, you know, he doesn't seem to have that vivacious life. He doesn't seem to have that joy. He doesn't seem to have that uh, uh, just thrill of, of living that, that he has. Hi, Tim. And he, hi, Georgie. And that he shares with other people. And, and where do you think his thrill of life has gone? And I said, I don't know. I said, let me, let me be around him. So I was around him some. And, and I thought maybe his energy level was down, but I didn't think it was that serious and said so. And uh, then a, a period of months went by before I was with him again. And the next time I was with him, uh, even, even I noticed uh, a difference. And over time, I've seen that difference grow and grow. And I found out uh, through talking to him that he's uh, uh, lost his faith. He's abandoned his belief in, in Jesus. And, 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 it, and it coincided with this dryness, this desert existence where you've got to really scrounge to try and find some life in this, what used to be a vibrant forest of a person. It's a tragic story. Second story. So I was taking Hebrew, and it was my first year to take Hebrew, my first semester. And the gentleman who taught Hebrew to me, uh, Professor Klein, had been raised in an Orthodox Jewish home. And there were about 20 students in the class when it started, before the drop time. And before the drop time, there was this one woman in class, young lady named Stephanie. And um, Stephanie didn't seem to take anything too seriously, in, including her studying uh, or attendance for that matter. And, and, but she, she tried to stay in there. Well, the professor had told us when you're reading Hebrew and you come across the letters that spell out the name of God, what we would say is Yahweh, when you are Yahweh, if we pronounce it that way. But when you come across those letters, he said, you do not pronounce those. Nobody pronounces God's name. It's too holy and reverent. So when you're reading scripture and you come across the name of God, you either can say Adonai, which just means Lord. It means Lord in a friendly sense as well, like Lord of the castle, Adonai. Or you can say Hashem. Ha means the Shem name. Hashem. So when you're reading, don't, when you come to the name of God, you don't try to pronounce God's name. You just say Hashem, the name. And, and bless Stephanie's heart. I don't think maybe she was paying too much attention or maybe she wasn't there that day. But a few days later, we're reading through the Joseph story and we're reading it out loud in Hebrew. And Professor Klein calls on her to read and she gets to this point where it's got Yahweh's name and she's trying to pronounce it. And her Hebrew is so poor that she can't really pronounce it well. And it doesn't have the vowel markings, which makes it a little more difficult. And the, the scholars didn't attach the vowel markings because you're not supposed to say it anyway. So why do you need to know what vowels are there? And so it doesn't have the vowel markings. So she's there, yav, 
and and you could just see my professor go white because he realizes what she's doing. She's about to pronounce the name that no one's supposed to pronounce. And he says, no, 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 don't, 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 no, no, no. And she thinks he's just trying to correct her pronunciation. And so she's, oh, that's okay. I can get it. Yahweh. No, no, no. Yes, yes, I can. Yahweh. I think he quit teaching after that. And I definitely know she dropped the class. Now, those two stories are important because today we're going to do two word stories. We're going to do a uh, word studies. We're going to do a word study on life. And we're going to do a word study on name. There are two words that we know quite well, but there are two words that we want to understand. So let's do this together. We're doing it in the flow. Remember, if you've been here, we've been talking about this issue of why did John write his gospel? And why did John pick the seven signs or the seven miracles he did to put in his gospel? And that's what our concern has been. And so we've used this verse to help explore it, that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. So there were many other signs that Jesus did. So Jesus did lots of miracles that John did not write, which are not written in this book. But these are written. These seven miracles that he wrote and the book itself are written So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing you may have life in his name. Now we've covered everything except life in his name. And that's what we're going to look at today. And as we look at it in the... We've, it's taken us, I'm sorry, so long, but it's taken, what, three weeks now to get through these two verses? We're not going through John... Three weeks for two verses, we'd, we'd take longer than Pastor David is on Romans. But we, we um, which I'm enjoying, I should add. Um, but we need to really unpack this first because this is the key to understanding his gospel. This is the reason he wrote. This is why we've got it to read. And, and, and as we do this, I want to emphasize and, and put this out here for you. I want you to see that the word so that... And then we've got it again, and so that, they didn't put so in there the second time, but it's in there in the Greek, so that, and so that. And here's what that means. That means if we can break it apart this way, that means John's saying, these things are written. These are the signs that I wrote, and I wrote these so that you may grow in your believing that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is a unique Son of God. I've written it so that you may grow in that believing. Not just come to faith, but grow in your faith that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the unique Son of God. And also so that by believing, you might have life in his name. Now, I'm really excited to teach this because word studies can be kind of dull and boring, but I want you to buckle in with me because there are words that John uses that we don't use the same way. So the translators are kind of stuck translating these words life and name But we'll lose track of what John's truly saying if we don't stop and focus on them and study them for a moment. 
So that's what we've got a chance to do. So that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, I want to start out here with life. Life. When John was writing, he wrote in the Greek language, the ancient Greek language. We talk about the Greek New Testament. And when I say John writing, I don't know that John wrote it. I suspect he dictated it. I suspect he said it and he had a secretary write it. But when it was written in Greek, the word life is right there. But John's thinking would have been in Hebrew because John was Jewish. He grew up in Israel. He grew up in Judah. He's a Jewish fisherman by trade who probably during the revolt, or right before the Jewish revolt, when the Christians were really leaving in mass Jerusalem around 68 to 70 AD, he's probably one of the ones who left and went to Ephesus. That's what church history seems to teach. But he's a Jew thinker for 50, 60 years of his life and even living in the, the diaspora and the dispersion out in, in the hinterlands. Though he speaks Greek... He's a Jewish thinker. So when he says this word life, we need to understand what the Greek word says, but we need to also understand what the Hebrew idea was, the Hebrew word, because he's thinking Hebrew as well. You with me? All right, this is, this is the way we do word studies. So um, um, buckle in. I hope you enjoy a word study. And if not, the class is over in about 40 minutes and you'll have some good food for lunch. So just hang on. Let's look first at the Greek, at the Greek. Now, the Greek word for life that is used by John here, there are two Greek words that can be translated life, but he uses the word zoe, zoe, zeta, omicron, eta. That A sound looks like our N with a tail, but it's the, it's a long E in a sense. It's the eta. So zoe. Zoe is a Greek word for life, but in the Greek idea, life is not something you just have. He has life, a guy in the casket doesn't. Okay, That's not really what life is in the sense of Zoe. Zoe, um, alright, we've got Georgie. Georgie, stand up. Stand up on your chair so they can see you. This is Georgie Wilson, okay? She's a dear, sweet young lady. Georgie has life. And if you're around her, she has vibrant life. She's like a 50,000th degree black belt. She rides horses. She's all everything at school. She's a brilliant young lady and the apple of her daddy's eye who's beaming next to her. Okay, sit down, please, Georgie. Now... Georgie has life in the Greek sense. She's got this vibrancy and this vitality and this self-awareness. But it's the same, it's the same thing that even a, 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 a plant has life in the Greek sense. But it's not that it's just alive. It's, it's that, it's that vibrancy. It's that, that whatever it is that makes it animated, that makes it alive. You with me? It's not a focus on the, the state of being alive. Versus being dead. It's a focus on that that juice that makes us say you're alive. Alright? So, 
zoe, life in the Greek, is this vitality that makes one alive. It's, it's whatever it is that makes you not dead. It's not so much a state of being as it is an experience. Uh, not a, it, it, it's what causes the experience or the state of being. All right, that's the Greek. Now, the Hebrew. If you're not reading along, you're allowed to take this test. What is the Hebrew word for life? I'll give you a hint. Need another hint? Here's your next hint. Try to be yes, to my bride to be Lachaim to life. La is the Hebrew particle or preposition that means to. What do you think Chaim is? Chaim is life. To life. To life. Lachaim. Lachaim, Lachaim to life. And if our good fortunes never come, here's to whatever comes. Drink Chaim to life. So Chaim is the Hebrew word for life. Now Chaim has a different idea. Chaim life is um, life. It is a state of being alive. You have life. You are alive. You're not dead. If you were dead, you'd have no life. You would not be alive. You would be dead. It is a state of being. It is, it is something that, that, that you are in that sense. Now, to the, the twist for the Hebrew idea is, is that long life is the most important thing you're going to have. Long life is what you would value most. Long life is, is of supreme importance. Okay, I also forgot to make my copies, so we're going to struggle through doing it the longhand way. But if we want to go to Proverbs 3.16, Proverbs 3.16 is a great, let's get this set up, automatic focus, automatic this, automatic that, blah, 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 here we go. It's talking, uh, in Proverbs 3, it's talking about wisdom, and look what it says about wisdom. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Think about that for a moment and the poetry that's being used. The right hand is the place of greatest power and position. The left hand is second. Second best. Second place. Or as uh, Abby Lee would say, the first loser. Um, first place is the right hand. And this passage is saying... That long life is of greater importance and worth more and is more valuable than riches and honor. Long life. Long life is the most important. When, um, uh, in Job, when Satan is, is going, uh, talking to God, Satan says the following. All that a man has, he will give. For his life. All that a man has, he'll give for his life. Now we know that Satan doesn't always tell the truth. He is a liar. 
And that's certainly not true for every man. And that's certainly not true all the time. But it's an inherent value that the Hebrew system had to life. The most important thing is that you hang on to it as long as you can. And um, that's a twist to the Hebrew. Now, in the Old Testament, for much of the Old Testament, many people didn't really understand an idea of eternity in sense of eternal life. Many Hebrews thought that when you died, you died. God has progressively revealed these truths. And some had knowledge back in the Old Testament time, but lots of those people did not. And so they thought when you died, you died, and they'd do anything to avoid dying. Long life. Let me tell you a second twist to the Hebrew idea of life. In that Hebrew word life. This twist is, you get your long life by obeying God. You obey God, you get long life. Honor your father and mother that it will be well with you and you will live long. Deuteronomy, quoted by Paul in Ephesians. This idea, if we go to Deuteronomy chapter 30, we see it uh, 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 very clearly. Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting with verse 15. God says, this is, this is the, the end of, of Moses' speech. It says, see, I have set before you today life, chayim, and good, death, and evil. You got your two roads, chayim or death, life or death. Good or evil, they're on the same road. The road of life is the good road. The road of death is the road of evil. If you obey the commandments of Yahweh, your God, that I command you today, by loving the Lord, by walking in His ways, by keeping His commandments, His statutes, then you shall live and multiply, and God will bless you. You want to live? You want a long life? You do what God tells you to do. You walk with Him. You honor Him. You bless Him. You obey the Lord. You love the Lord your God. You live in His statutes. Then you live long. But oh, if you don't. If your heart turns away. Whoops. Come back, heart. There you go. If your heart turns away and you won't hear, you're drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today, you shall surely perish. Your obedience to God is the key to a long life. According to the Jewish idea here. You get long life by obeying God. You with me? Okay. So, John writes, what do we do with John? Um, You know, before we do that, let me go back. We've got a little extra time. I'm going through this a little quicker than I thought. Let me add something to it. Um, Let's go to the Elmo. Y'all ready? Okay, here we go. Zoom it down for me. So, here is life. The Jews had, uh, Hebrews had a, a very good understanding of where life came from. Life's the state of being alive. 
It's a condition. It's a state. You want that state for a long time? Great. Honor God. But where did it come from? We would say, if we were thinking genetically, that it was a chemical process of of uh, the, the DNA from the sperm uh, binding to the DNA in the ovum and uh, the cells start replicating and... No. No, the Hebrews say life comes from God. God made man, fashioned him out of the dust, but man did not become alive until God breathed into him life. Life comes from God. God is alive. God has life. No one gives it to him. No one takes it away. But for man, life is derivative. Long word, Georgie. Derivative. So for man, we derive or get life from God. We do not have life within ourselves. We have to get it from God. And God gives it to us. That's why God takes it away. So so it's a derivative idea here. And that's throughout the Old Testament. Now, if we take and add that to everything else, I want to talk now about how John uses life. Let's go back to the PowerPoint, please. So John uses life... In the Greek sense, he does talk about vitality of life. We have a passage in John 10, John 10, 10, that's a a, a wonderful passage that um, I had to memorize when I was in high school to go on a mission trip. But I want you to see it within the context of what it is, and we learn better when we look as well as hear. So let's look at it together. Jesus is talking about how Jesus is the door for the sheep. And thieves will break in and they'll they'll steal and they'll rob from the sheep. But not the good shepherd. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus came that they may have life. Zoe. Chaim. That they may have life and have it abundantly. Have it full. This is what that young man is missing. This is what people are able to see. You cannot have an abundant, full life without believing in Jesus Christ. You might say, oh, but I know people who don't believe or are quite happy. And I have a couple of things to say. Number one, they may appear happy. You don't know their heart. Number two, they may be happy. You may be watching this on the internet. You may be sitting here and saying, Oh, I don't believe in Jesus. I don't believe he's the son of God, but I'm still happy. I still have joy. I still have a full, abundant, marvelous life. And my comment to you is, I promise you, you really don't. You have no clue what joy is. I mean, it's the difference between eating a crusty piece of three-week-old bread when you're just so hungry, you think, man, this bread's marvelous, and eating some marvelous, fresh 
phenomenal loaf right out of the oven. You just don't know what you're missing. Because you cannot have that joy of life and that vitality apart from Jesus. Jesus came that not, you know, the, the idea that Jesus made everything miserable for us. Oh, great, the killjoy. He's got this whole list of things we can't do. All of those things are, are fences. They're hedges. I'm, since I'm talking to Georgie so much today, Georgie, the things that the scripture says, don't do this and do this, it's not to regulate your life and make you miserable and make you miss out on all the fun things everybody else is doing. It's there so that we have fences that protect us. So that we don't get off into the weeds. So that we don't get lost. So that we don't get distracted. We were dealing with a, 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 an issue this week, a friend of mine was, where, where they have a son who's off in the weeds. Distracted. And it's destructive to his life. Whether he realizes it or not. So, life, vitality. I've given you some scriptures to find how John uses it in that way. But even beyond that, the Hebrew way that he uses it is extremely significant. And I really want us to do that. To do that, we got to put up a chalkboard because we got too much to write. And I was running out of room on that slide. See, look. Where am I going to put anything? So, we just throw up the chalkboard and we'll put it there. Okay? Hebrew life. Now, remember what we've already looked at. The Hebrew life is derivative. This is a life that comes from God. You, you don't just happen to have it. Your life, your existence, your very reason for being comes from God. We got that, for example, out of the Genesis passage I referenced you earlier. God breathed, gave life. Now, John says this same thing, but he says it about Jesus. Look what John says about Jesus. We're going to look at three passages. John 1, 3 and 4, John 5, 36, and John 6, 27. I put more than that in your written lesson. Some of you take that written lesson home, I found out, and actually read it during the week and work through it. Some of you do it with your spouses, which I think is fantastic. It's going to make me be a little bit better at writing it because I'm thinking this is not just being used to make paper airplanes. The, the, but, but I've put in there, for that reason, extra material that you can maybe find useful to study over the week. But here's what we've got. So the Hebrew thought is that life is derivative from God. And then along comes John. Hold on, I have a Greek New Testament here. You know, I, I was reading before church this morning. And uh, uh, I was reading John uh, uh, in the Greek. And, and we read our Greek, and so many of these passages are memorized to us. So that John begins, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And, and that's a wonderful translation because it emphasizes that this is in the beginning, echoing Genesis. But i got to tell you... We almost lose some of the meaning of what John writes because it's not in our normal way of talking. If we weren't worried about showing John is echoing Genesis, 
And we were just going to translate John into English syntax today. This is what it literally says. The Word was in the beginning. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And when we we start out in the beginning, we lose track of John just being very blunt. The Word was in the beginning. The Word was with God and the Word was God. John's making a very direct claim that we don't ever want to lose sight of. That the Word in the beginning was with God and was God. So when God breathed life into man, who breathed life into man? The Word, Jesus. Because the Word was God, as well as with God. So now look at, for example, John 1, 3 through 4, where it continues. John 1, 3 through 4. See, the Word was in the beginning. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He, the Word, was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him, through the Word. And without Him was not anything made that was made. Now look at this. In the Word was Zoe life. Life was in the Word. This idea that life is with God and it's just given to man and and derivative to man. And and we derive it from God because he gives it to us. In Genesis, he breathed it into man. That's what John's saying was Jesus doing. Don't ever get sidetracked and start thinking Jesus is a separate God. There is one God. So Jesus, the Word, in the Word was life. And that life was the light of men. So we have Jesus as the word. Look at John 5.36. I think that's the next one I was going to use for you guys. John 5.36. This is Jesus talking. And he says, The testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works I'm doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So you've got Jesus. Jesus is the life. Has life. Jesus is God. And he's here doing what the Father has sent him to do. So in that vein, as we continue on in in John 6, 27, Jesus is telling people, do not labor, don't work for food that perishes, work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father has set his seal. So Jesus is the one who's going to give eternal life. Now there's a twist here. God in the Old Testament gives life. God the Father gives life. God gives life in Genesis. Jesus is also giving life. Not only in the Genesis sense, but we have the addition of Jesus giving an eternal life. Remember what was most valuable about life to the Jews? Having it. Jesus says, I'm not just going to give you life. I'm going to give you a life that lasts forever. An eternal life. 
And I know some people who are in this postmodern era who say, well, you know, the Bible, uh, you know, who knows if there's really an eternity, but this is a wonderful thing and it helps society and it gives you something to believe in and helps you stare death in the face without crying. That's not the biblical picture. The biblical picture is that there is an eternal, there is a blessing, there is a gift. There's a reason, Paul says, if there's not a resurrection from the dead, why are we wasting our time? Eat, drink, and drown your sorrows. So, let's go back to the PowerPoint. Here we are, y'all are a step ahead of me. What do we have then? In the Old Testament, long life comes from obedience. But John puts a twist on life. And John says eternal life comes through believing in Jesus. It's what Pastor Fleming said this morning. Eternal life comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The obedience that gives us an eternal life is the obedience of Jesus. It's not how good we are. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news that it's not how good we are that decides if we're going to live eternally? To the Old Testament idea, it was, it was taught if you follow God's laws, it will inure or, or it will come to your benefit and you'll have a longer life. But John's saying, time out. I'm talking about an eternal life. I'm not talking about living into your hundreds. I'm talking about living forever. And that's not going to come out of your obedience. It's very clear in John it comes out of believing in Jesus, the obedient son. You with me? Everybody doing okay? We're halfway through the word study. If we need to quit, we can quit. But if y'all will bear with me, I'd really like to talk to you about the other word. Can we do that? Y'all with? Good, because I figured you'd say yes and I'm ready to go with the slides. So John's saying, I have written these miracles so that you'd believe that Jesus is the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. So that you'd believe he is the unique son of God. So that by believing, you would have life. Real life. of An abundant life in the here and now, a Greek vitality. But a Greek vitality and abundant life that lasts forever. An eternal life. By believing, you would have an eternal life in his name. Name. Name? Name. Greek. Hebrew. Name. Let's start Greek. Onoma. Say onoma. Onoma. (laughs) You named it. Onoma is the Greek word for name. Onoma. Now we know what a name is. That's Richard. Steve, Lori, Sandy. I keep going. John, your wife's not here. But I keep going down the road. Your name is your label. When I call your name out, Jim looks at me. Your name is your label. That's that's what I'm called. We used to say as a kid, hey Mark, that's my name, don't wear it out. That's what I'm called. 
That's not what the word name meant back in the Greek or Hebrew sense. In fact, in all of the old ancient world, name, your name had a potency and a power. Everybody was trying to figure out the names of the gods. Because if they felt they, they had the gods' names, they thought once they invoke their name, the god has to do what they say. It gives them a measure of control. It gives them a measure of power. Who gave you your name? Who gave you your name? Your mother. Did she have control and power over you when she did so? Absolutely. And that's the way it is in their minds back then. If you could name someone, you had a measure of dominion or control or power over them. And so there's all these people trying to figure out the God's names. So the name could be a label in Greek. My name is Zenethemus. The name also, though, when you use the word name, sometimes you're just talking about someone's reputation. We can use it sort of that way. He has a good name. That doesn't mean, I like the way it rolls off my tongue. It means he's got a good reputation. Sometimes, in the Greek, just using the word name means a person. It's an actual reference. You know, he carried his name into battle. Well, that can mean his reputation, but it means more than that. He didn't just send his reputation in there. He went in. <laughs> okay? So, so it's, 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 sometimes it's the person. Sometimes it's used as a legal reference in tables and stuff. We get that, for example, in the idea that your name is written in the book of life. That means you. It doesn't, it's no good just to have your name in the book. You want to be in the book. So there, the word name is a reference to the person. It's not just my name is inscribed in the book of life. So when I get up there, they're in uh, alphabetical order. Let's say Lanier, 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 Lanier. We've got Becky. We got, yeah, we got all the kids. Where's, where's Mark? Huh? Huh? He may be in the back. Oh, he's a footnote. He was a lawyer. Um, it's not that. It's that I'm inscribed who I am. As a person, I'm in the book of life. The book of Zoe, the book of eternal life, the book of vitality. I am in it by the blood of Jesus. Now, to the Greeks, there's power in a name. If you read the, the, the um, uh, Odyssey, Homer's Odyssey, you'll, you'll read about all the guard, gods trying to guard their names so no one gets them. Because... They don't want anybody to have power over. Now let's change and let's look at the Hebrew real quick. Ooh, I'm running out of time now. Okay, the Hebrew word for name is Shem. Shem. Okay, that's the word for name. You're saying, well, that's the son of Adam and Eve after Cain killed Abel. Yes? Uh, no. Uh, actually, it was Noah, wasn't it? Seth was the other one. Shem is also the name of Noah's son. But Shem means name. Okay, they were they were struggling. They'd already had some kids. What are we going to name this one? Just call them the name. Okay, Shem. <laughs> it's better than nameless, you know. Um, so Shem can be a label. Shem can mean your reputation. 
A good name is better than riches, more to be desired than gold. That doesn't mean a name that's easy to spell or a name that sounds good and is popular. You know, I met a a, a woman lawyer in Tucson, Arizona the other day. I was at a a, a, a event there speaking. She came up and and was on the panel. And and I said, um, I said, okay, I'm going to be nosy, but I've just got to ask you. Her name, I could hardly even, I couldn't pronounce it. It was like 120 letters long. And, And I mean, it's just like an impossible name. And I said, are you married? And she said, no, why? I said, I was going to say, you must have one incredible husband to have been willing to take on that name. But if it's not a married name, it's just one you were born into, then... You know, it's just the way it goes. And she laughed and she said, yes, I'm looking for Mr. Wright and his name needs to be Smith. (laughs) Your reputation is is your name. That's the good name to be desired. It's used for your character. You know, in Exodus 34, 14, there's a reference to God being a jealous God. But it doesn't say it's just a jealous God. It says his name is jealous. His Shem, who he is, his character is jealous. Name as a word can be used for fame. And we still sort of use it that way today. Hey, uh, uh, his name went out before him. You know, his fame. If, if we hold someone in high esteem, that can be the word name also in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, name can be used of a memory. When God says, I'm going to blot the name of Israel out to Moses. Before Moses intervenes and and God relents. God says, I'm going to blot their name out and I'll start all over again with you, Moses. But he says, I'm going to blot their name out. He doesn't mean I'm going to take a pencil and erase Israel's name. He means I'm going to blot out the memory of them. you, You won't ever remember them. They'll be like so many other nations that you just don't remember anymore. We don't remember. So that word name can mean all of these different things. But here's something I really want you to see. It it enlightens us so much when we bless the name of Yahweh. I wrote this down this morning. We sang this song. So we cry out your name. El Shaddai, God of grace. Lord most high, Jesus Christ. We've got other songs we sing where we cry, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Okay. There's not magic in that name in the sense that we use the word name. Just say, when I was a younger, when I was a child, I used to think, oh, if I just say the name Jesus, there's something magic that's going to happen. Jesus. No, the magic in the name is not in the label. It's not in the word. We're not a bunch of pagan Greeks who think because we can say the name of Jesus, we unlock the magic box and God is at our bidding. The reason those songs have those lyrics is because we're singing, we're blessing the name of God. We're singing a blessing on his reputation. We're singing a blessing on his character. When we cry out his name and when we call on his name, when we call out the name of Jesus for blessing, we're not calling out, Jesus, uh, we're saying your name so we automatically get blessed. 
We're speaking to who he is in his character, in his reputation, in his power, in what he's done. That's what we're blessing. That's what we're calling on. That's how we bless the name of Jesus or we bless the name of Yahweh. We bless the character, the reputation, the memory, the, the, the power, the might, the essence of who he is. When, oh, 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 this is good. I put this up here for a reason. I don't mean good like, gee, look what I did. I mean good like we need to get this. The Greek gods would hide their names. So would the neighbors of Israel. So would almost all the ancient deities. All the ancient so-called gods would hide their name lest someone get power over them. Not Yahweh. Yahweh God revealed his name. He wanted everybody to know his name. He wanted everybody to know who he was and what he'd done. He didn't have a secret name that would give someone power over him. Who's going to have power over Yahweh God? Nobody. He would reveal his name. He wanted to make his name known. He wanted his name to be remembered. He wanted his name to stretch across the world. That's Yahweh God. He didn't have some secret little label and identity that would give someone power over him. He is the all-powerful one who, if, as the psalm says, those who know your name put their trust in you. That doesn't mean those who know Yahweh. It means those who know who you are, God, anybody who knows who God really is and has an intimate relationship with him will trust him. Who would not? So, John says, by believing you may have life in his name. But I've, I've left something huge out of this equation. Huge. Um... There's actually a phrase that we need to look at, not just the word name. The way John wrote, uh, uh, and John did, he uses, I've given you passages, we don't have time to go through these, but where he uses name to talk about character, reputation, and fame, and some other things like that. Those passages are in your book, or in your, your handout. But that phrase, in his name, is not good Greek. It is not the kind of Greek that any Greek writer would say, per se. It's really translation Greek. It is taking a Hebrew phrase and translating it literally, of sorts, into Greek. And so when we read that phrase, we really need to understand the Hebrew phrase in the name. Bashem. Ba is the Hebrew word, that, that or letter that's the preposition in or, or, or on. Uh, so in his name, in Hebrew is Bashem, and that's what John means. John, we just translate it because, I mean, what are those translators going to do? You didn't ask for a Jewish version of the Bible. You got an English, right? Any of y'all ask, go to Mardell's, say, I'd like your Jewish New Testament, please. If you asked for a Hebrew New Testament, you'd get this. You'd get Bashem. But assuming you bought an English one, they got to translate it into English. So you've got to come to CFBC at 11 o'clock on Sundays to find this stuff out. In his name, Bashem. Do you know what it really means? It means on his behalf. On his behalf. On behalf of who he is. His name. His reputation. 
See, don't leave yet. On his behalf. What do we got? We got six minutes. Okay, look. John is saying that we have life not in his name in the sense that if we wear Jesus around like a coat, we have life. He's saying we have life on Jesus' behalf. It's the life God owes to Jesus maybe isn't the right word. But it's the life that Jesus has claimed to. It's his life. We get hit, we get life on his behalf because of what he's done, because of who he is. The life that we have is a life that's on his behalf, not on our own and not just in some magic incantation or formula of his name. Look at these two passages. You can go through John and find in his name and it'll unlock those passages when you understand it's on his behalf. Look, for example, at John 5, 43. Jesus says the following. I have come in my Father's name. Now, the, the Greek reads, in the name of my Father. It's just not, it's bulky English. So they stick the word Father in there. But look what that means. Jesus says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in, in, the, in the name of him, again, it's there, you'll receive him. Here's what he's saying. I come on my Father's behalf. I'm coming here on God's behalf and you won't receive me. If someone just comes on their own behalf, you'll receive them. If someone just knocks on your door and says, hey, can I visit? Someone comes up to you and starts talking to you and comes to you on their own behalf, you'll, you'll receive them. But I come on God's behalf. God has sent me. I'm here as his spokesperson. I'm here on his behalf. And you won't receive me. Um... We got time for one more. Uh, well, we don't. Okay. So here's the deal. Points for home. Jesus says, we get to do it here. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Now, I read this and this, this uh, uh, changed my prayer life as a young boy. Because I thought, okay, well, here's my proof text for God. I'm just going to ask something in his name. And he'll do it. Because I thought in his name meant at the end of my prayer, I say, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I say in Jesus' name, amen, at the end of my prayers, because I'm praying in Jesus' name. But it's not some magic word. I'm praying... In his character, because of who he is, and because of what he's done. I go before God and I seek God, not out of my obedience. Not out of my, my, my strength. Not out of my wisdom. Not out of my Bible knowledge. I seek God, and I pray to God, because of who Jesus is and what he's done. The name of Jesus. I'm going to come back to this in the third point for home. But look next. Second point for home. John 10.10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Oh, my, my. There are different groups of people. 
there's a group of people who live in the world and by the world system has pretty good time. Oh, they got ups and downs. They may have trouble handling the downs. But they're out there with what the world has to offer, filling up their cup. Then there are these fence sitters. They got too much religion to have fun in the world. Too much of the world to have fun in religion. So they just straddle the fence. I think they're the most miserable. And then there are those who recognize that Jesus has come, that we would have life abundant. And so we seek Jesus. We just want Jesus. We just want whatever he wants. That is, what, that is where I want to be. I want to live in Jesus. I want, I want to be here for that reason. I want that to be what motivates me. I want that to be what wakes me up each day, what sends me to bed at night. I want Jesus to be what drives me at work, what drives me at home, what drives me at play. I want his priorities. I want his heart for others. I want his mission. I want Jesus. And I promise you, based on my 52 years of living so far, it's when I'm drinking from Jesus that I've got eternal life. That's not just an eternity of life, but is an abundant life that started already now. And let the winds blow, let the storms blow. I stand on a rock that is a firm foundation that teaches me how to walk through those storms by his wisdom and strength and guidance. That's where I want to live. That's where I want to die. Last point for home. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Jesus says that multiple times in John. But here's the rub on this point for home. I want to pray in Jesus' name not only in the sense of on on the authority of who he is and what he's done, but I want to pray in Jesus' name on his behalf. Because that's really what he means here. In my name, in the name of mine, on my behalf, whatever we ask God on behalf of Jesus is what he promises to do. He promises if you ask God to do something that's Jesus's agenda, that's what Jesus wants done, that is Jesus's plan, that is Jesus's purpose. If you ask God, he will do it. This isn't the magic. This is the transformation. This is transforming our desires and our hearts and our motives into Christ's. So we pray in his name, on his behalf, as we pray for his will. Make sense? I went a minute over time. I'm sorry, but would you pray with me? Father, we do pray in the name of Jesus, both through his blood and righteousness, and on on his behalf, we ask you to work your spirit in our lives to produce your fruit. Father, I pray that you would bless and keep everyone who's listening to this message, that you would let your spirit enrich them, that if I've messed up or confused or got something wrong, that you would clarify because Lord, we want to live in your will, in your presence. Father, there's, it's, Our now dead brother C.S. Lewis wrote, There is nothing we fear in your will.
And there's nothing we want outside of it. Put us there, please, Lord. Keep us there. On behalf of Jesus and in his name we pray, amen. Amen.